Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mike Coughlin, President and CEO of McKinney Flavelle, and today is February 8th, 2024, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast Series. It is a holy WASD day, right, Kevin? It is. It is a wake up and scarf donuts everybody day. You don't, you don't see, I don't think you've had any donuts because you don't seem as excited as you normally are. I'm, yeah, I'm a little low on sugar right now. So I ah, right. Uh, <laughs> definitely needed my donuts, but oh, nobody wow. delivered. I don't know what the problem is. Boy, I'll tell you, Kevin, you really worked that one in here. You needed a little sugar and we all need a little bit of sugar, right? We all need a little bit. No. No. Okay, fine. Just a teaspoon a day. <laughs> Let me talk about a few things that are, are coming up. Our spring seminar, all these folks on this podcast today will be there plus more. It's on April 17th in Oak Brook, Illinois, right, Kevin? That is correct. Excellent. You can register on our website at mckinney-favel.com. Also, we have another webinar coming up. Nicole, don't we? Aren't you on that webinar? I think I am. Yes. yes. I'll be hosting. Okay. Our illustrious Sean Bingham will be uh, tackling a subject everyone's interested in, right? Yes, economy, inflation, and interest rates, what to yes. expect. February 21st, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Go ahead and get to our website and register for that. We'll look forward to seeing folks there. And I think we're going to post that on the IQ platform for those who want to watch it again or missed it. So look forward to that. All right, we've got a lot to talk about today. So where shall we start? Who wants to start first? Dealer's Choice. Okay, I'm going to go with Nicole. Let's talk about corn, corn and soybeans. So I'm, I'm curious of what you're going to say, and uh, I'm just going to ask the question up front, and you figure out when you want to answer it. But okay. I'm really curious of your opinion on why the USDA is so far off the Brazilian government's estimates on corn and soybean. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Look at you, still in my thunder. Okay, Already. go for it. Oh, but we'll get there. Let, let's start with the, the quiet positive piece uh, for corn with um, U.S. stocks, you know, more or less unchanged, a little stronger, 2.172 billion bushels. That puts us just shy of 15%. So keeping that bearish pressure on prices, everybody's excited about that. Interestingly, though, they did revise lower the food, seed, and industrial category, but not ethanol. It was actually that that sliver of space in between, uh, and they took that down by ten million bushels to six point seven eight million. You know, I might argue that this came from an area that we typically, you know, don't really spend a lot of time discussing when it relates to the balance sheet or the WASDE report. But that may we may actually be seeing that coming a bit out of the wet milling space. You know, consumers were uh, spending like crazy between twenty one and. 2023 yep. and things have settled down a bit. So maybe we're seeing a little less usage in the way of corn derived products that's showing up in the balance sheet. But again, you know, pretty, pretty minimal effect. But to your point, Michael, the global balance sheet is a little more interesting. Uh, they did reduce the ending stocks by 3 million tons to, to a little over 322 million. And that was due to that lower corn uh, production uh, estimate for Brazil which they put at 124. Why is that interesting? Because on one hand, you would think, oh yeah, they're taking it down, which fits, you know, what we've been hearing. The problem is, and maybe these two agencies should communicate 
ahead of the the reports. So they're a little closer in line, but uh, CONAB put out their number at uh, 113.7 million tons. And that was a 4 million ton reduction from uh, their January forecast. So a little bit of a disconnect between the two. I mean, I got to imagine CONAB uh, has boots on the ground, so to speak, uh, and has a pretty good gauge of what's going on there. And, and you know, in fairness, we're, we're just getting underway with the start of the, the production season for the Safrina crop. Uh, so maybe things will turn out a little better than expected. I don't know. I got a suspicion that uh, Eric's going to throw something out there when he talks about wheat that you know, may, may make things a little interesting as well. That's a little teaser. I'll leave it there for now. But overall, I mean, even if we were to, you know, take out another 10 million tons, which is plausible, obviously, you'd still have a year over year stocks increase of about 12 million tons. So, you know, we're not, we're not looking at a disaster type scenario for the global balance sheet, even though the the two parties are very far apart in their projections. But I'll say this again, not to take you know too much from what I suspect uh, Eric's going to talk a bit about, but I'll just throw out the term climate. You know, we've got a pretty bearish scenario for the market right now. It's probably as bearish as it's going to get, you know, unless we can get something more in the way of weakness for global consumption. Although I might argue that the the demand weakness we're seeing now is probably as weak as it's going to be within the 23-24 crop. Uh, Looking forward to 24-25, you know, maybe you can make a case that some things are done uh, globally that are a little more supportive of consumption and shows that strengthening a bit more in 2025. And I know it's, it's, it's hard to even consider rising prices in such a bearish environment. Uh, and again, I don't think it's anything that we necessarily have to worry about 23, 24, but with some of the things that could be transpiring later this summer, uh, from a weather standpoint and some of the, you know, potential opportunities within consumptive growth, you know, again, not saying you jump out there and start booking stuff for 24, 25, but I would say, don't get too apathetic when it comes to the corn market and just keep monitoring it again today, not the day <laughs> to extend that coverage in the upcoming marketing year, but you do want to see how things develop here in the next few months and how some of these forecasts uh, unfold to try to determine what a good number really will be for 2425. And Hey, if everything stays great U S wise for the, for the weather, South America, uh, no more loss uh, for the current uh, year and potentially, you know, if, if weather can hang in there for the 24-25 crop, then, hey, maybe by uh, October, we're looking at a number that's got a three in front of it. Wow. Again, don't get, don't get super excited about it because, like I said, there are some things on the horizon that can make that a little interesting, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how things play out there. And then as far as soybeans were concerned, wow, nice increase to the ending stocks. I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I may have been suggesting that, uh, that we were going to see that number come up and get uh, above 300 million bushels. And frankly, I think it could go higher yet. 
And I think that because exports have been incredibly weak, you know, for perspective, the total commitment of soybean uh, exports for 23-24, at least as of February 1st, is at about 80% of the USDA's projection, but we only have about two months left in what's kind of our typical peak period of export demand, usually wraps up by the end of March. And also worth noting, uh, what we have on the books today is behind where we were a year ago by about 19%. So if that dynamic continues or we get some cancellations down the road, plausible, we could see that total category consumption number get closer to 1.6 billion bushels. Hence why I think, you know, depending on what that offset could potentially be in crush, we could see these ending stocks grow additionally in reports to come. Now for soybean oil in the domestic market, they left that balance sheet unchanged. We still have our ending stocks at 1.577 billion pounds. And I think that's a wise approach considering there's a lot left to be determined for that biofuels category in soybean oil. You know, we're definitely seeing a broader variety of renewable diesel feedstock options really helping to, to lighten the load for soybean oil. Uh, we have seen the input share of usage for soybean oil and domestic biofuel production drop. We're down by about 5% from a year ago with the November share at about 35.8%. And if we went back further yet, those numbers would have been closer to the mid, you know, 40 something percent at 1.50 something percent of the usage. So using kind of that lower, safer estimate of a continuation of the trend that we're seeing of between one to 1.2 billion pounds of monthly usage, that leaves us a nice broad range of possibility between 12 and maybe 14 ish, 14 and a half billion pounds by the time the marketing year is over. So, you know, USDA seems to be taking the middle of the road uh, approach with uh, keeping that projection at 13 billion pounds uh, for, for now. Uh, now, on the global balance sheet, that incre- we saw an increase to U.S. soybean ending stocks that, you know, helped to offset what USDA did for Brazilian production. They took that down to 156, and that put ending stocks uh, about 2 million tons uh, higher at a bit more than 116 million tons. But again, and when we look at uh, what CONAB thinks, uh, they actually took their Brazilian uh, soy production number down by 6 million tons from their January report. And they now have that at 149.4 million tons. Uh, USDA left Argentina's unchanged at 50 million. But, you know, if everything else on the balance sheet remains near current levels, that uh, potential for lower Brazilian production uh, could take us uh, ending stocks down to about 110 million. But before you get too alarmed by that, that would still be a year over year increase of roughly 7 million tons. And another possible positive for, from a buyer's perspective, positive offset down the road could be lower Chinese imports currently projected at 102 million tons. Now, South America has you know, seemingly become the uh, origin of choice. And when you compound that by a generally, you know, weak economic outlook in China, poor crush and hog margins there, you know, it could not only pressure uh, imports from the U.S. and as I mentioned, that potential for cancellations, but it could also just pressure their imports, period, uh, in 23, 24, 
which is, you know, kind of, kind of interesting. There was some, some, uh, political commentary that came out in the last few days regarding the likelihood of wanting to, uh, put more import tariffs and the like on, uh, China, uh, where, where something to occur and just for perspective, and this is why it's a very interesting point to, to focus on, depending on, uh, I guess, constituency. If you go back to 2018, 19, that's when we were in the midst of the uh, last trade war, uh, ending stocks for soybeans reached 909 million bushels, which seems crazy to us today, you know, in the 300s. Uh, and prices fell from the year prior uh, from around about 10. 50 per bushel to a range between about eight and nine fifty per bushel and arguably expedited China's efforts to find other origins for soybeans and diversify their protein mix in their feed. So just a little food for thought. And then lastly, I'll say with the, like, just like in the U S the global soybean oil balance sheet was left unchanged. Uh, but USDA did show some improvement in terms of the uh, global vegetable oil stocks they took that up to uh, 31.13 million tons. And if uh, I had to guess, because I didn't have too much time to dig too deep into those numbers, that would be based on uh, some better than expected production uh, of palm and uh, just a generally better uh, availability for uh, a bevy of oils in the, in the global market uh, to help in that scenario. So that was corn and soybeans. Fun times. Excellent. Thank you, Nicole. Let's shift over to our favorite Eric Thornton, commodity specialist for McKinney Favelle. Eric, what they do on wheat? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, not a lot in wheat, as as expected. Usually February is a pretty tame month, uh, although I will say the one change they made was a little more abnormal or noteworthy. So the only change to supply and demand was a 10 million bushel decrease to food demand now projected at 960 million bushels. And why I say that's noteworthy is, you know, usually that category sees very minor changes, 1 million bushels, maybe 2 million bushel adjustments. But to see a 10 million bushel change, you know, definitely out of the ordinary. And the reasons behind that was due to a record low Q4 uh, flour grind that took place last fall. And, you know, I have to see how this plays out because generally, you know, wheat uh, for food demand typically grows as population grows, if you look at the history. But perhaps we're seeing this kind of uh, pretty big slowdown or this adjustment lower for this this marketing year uh, might be more inclined to what we've seen in some other markets. Uh, a lot of COVID-induced supply chain issues that cause people to overbook, overbuy, overcommit, and you know build safety stocks and adjust warehousing strategies. I think that could be part of it now that's just flushing its way through into some of these demand categories and we're seeing, you know, folks get a little leaner on inventory and, and change those strategies. So that was the only change and and that kind of filtered its way down into ending stocks rising 10 million bushels up to now 658 million bushels. So that's a, a solid improvement versus a year ago. We're 88 million bushels higher than last crop year and, and closing in now on two years ago, where the 2021-22 balance sheet saw ending stocks at 674 million bushels. So a little bit of bearish news there, but really nothing earth shattering. And on the global side, really nothing to comment there. I mean, there was just some 
minor true ups to production and demand and all in all ending stocks were just trimmed uh, minorly by half a million metric ton to, to just under 260 million metric tons still the lowest since 2017-18 but really nothing earth shattering there and, and but I will comment aside from WASD like uh, Nicole was referencing uh, some additional information that uh, was released today from NOAA on the the weather scenario kind of the climate weather uh, out, outlook is um, they are now declaring a La Nina watch for the second half of the year wow. with a uh, 55% chance for development in June through August, which, okay, coin flip, uh, you know, maybe we'll, maybe that will or won't happen, but uh, all the way up to a 77% chance in the months of September through November. So the odds are increasing each month. And for those that have been listening uh, and you know reading comments in IQ the last few months, I've kind of highlighted this, that the forecasts were getting more and more aggressive on this rapid deterioration out of El Nino into La Nina. And now we're starting to, I think, build some confidence to that. Obviously, you know, still some time and, and things can change. And, you know, no doubt that it does take some some time for the, you know, jet streams or the weather patterns to officially set in. So I may reserve and, and say that may not be a huge deal for the U.S. spring row crops, but it definitely will be a risk factor to the next round of winter wheat planting this fall. And then secondly, to I think what Nicole was referencing you know, what's that going to do to South America, you know, in the next 10 to 16 months when they plant their 24, 25 crops? So, you know, a little bit of a story there, I'd say even more impactful than WASD for wheat. And, you know, really now we'll just look forward to USDA's Ag Outlook numbers next week. And, and even more importantly, from a market mover standpoint, the end of March via the prospective plantings report. So that's what I got, Mike. Excellent. Thank you, Eric. Let's uh, wrap this one up with Kevin on sugar. And Kevin, Kevin, I'm really interested in talking to you today because I, I just don't understand up, down, up, down on these crops. What's going on? Up, down, up, down. Well, you know, crop weren't that drastic of moves. So I think it was, you know, something we were anticipating, particularly on the beet side. But on the cane side, you know, I was also probably expecting to see maybe a little bit of decline there, uh, particularly in Louisiana with some of the final numbers coming out. It's, you know, they pretty much wrapped everything up there. But yeah, USDA did come through on the beat side as we thought, uh, lowered the number 80,000 tons to 5.327. Still a really, really nice crop, given that we had a little bit of a late start to planting. So there's, you know, a lot of questions there early in the Red River Valley. And yet they ended up with phenomenal uh, yields there, really, you know, boosting the overall crop size. And, you know, pretty much every other region was uh, less than ideal conditions and, you know, struggled to average to maybe even slightly below average crops. So very good on the uh, the beet crop side. Cane-wise, they lower, raised uh, production again. We we're expecting maybe a little bit of lowering there as well, but they came up up 39,000 tons, up another 31,000 tons in Louisiana. So despite that huge drought and hot conditions this summer, the, uh, the crop managed to come out uh, pretty darn good. 1.935 million tons, probably the third largest crop 
just you know below the last couple which you know with the increased area they've been putting in obviously we'd like to continue to see that number going up probably the biggest news in louisiana you know we did get uh several weeks ago we had that really really cold conditions there so obviously that doesn't impact a crop that was basically done but could have a little bit of a setback to the new crop. Just have to wait and see how the crop uh, comes out uh, of winter conditions and progresses, but a uh, little concern going forward there. Imports, of course, we're expecting to see a lot of changes there, and uh, that just kind of seems to be the name of the game with the domestic sugar market and with Mexico's crop being lowered again. USDA basically came right along lines where uh, our current crop estimate is 4.875 million metric tons. That was 141,000 tons lower. And I can't remember the exact number, but probably about 100,000 tons lower than the official Mexico estimate as, you know, yields have picked up a little bit when you look at the uh, weekly data and are surpassing where they were last year. But the sugar recovery percentage is pretty dismal. It's off almost a full percent of what we were at last year. We're only about 30% through the crop, but uh, not seeing a lot of uh, hope there for any real recovery when you see that sugar content number uh, so much lower. So I think the USDA is right on and uh, we'll just have to see. But when you take that uh, production number lower, they're already going to struggle to meet our import needs. And so USDA actually lowered imports from Mexico another 123,000 tons to 799,000 tons. And as a result of that short supply and looking at pace to date, they said, well, there's going to need to be some more sugar. Usually we don't see a lot of adjustments this quick in these numbers, but they can't do anything on TRQ yet. That'll come after April. So Uh, They managed to say, hey, look at supply shortage, look at pace to date. We've had a lot of high-tier imports come in through the first four months already. I think it was 232,000 tons. So let's raise high-tier imports another 140,000 tons to 715,000 tons. Wow. Wow. And uh, Mike, I took out my big boy calculator, as our friend Steve likes to call it. To do these huge number <laughs> yes. calculations. And what did you come up with? I came up with uh, customs will be collecting about $225 million on high-tier imports for sugar. Wow. That is a rather wow. big number. <laughs> That's a big number, right? So sugar is coming through and uh, helping with uh, our budget uh, issues that we uh, continue to have. So yes, yes, yes. Uh, go sugar. I think every buyer is a little upset with that number and says, you know what, how is USDA managing the program like this and why are they managing it? But, you know, with the suspension agreements and the way things are laid out, it's kind of like they're tied a little bit. But, uh, you know, come April 1st, it's interesting, you know, are they just planning on allowing high tier sugar to continue to flow into the country? Or would they say, hey, we should do something and do an increase to TRQ to prevent some of these high tier needs and have supplies come and, and, you know, take care of some of our trade partners? (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) We shall see. One thing's for sure, as I like to say. We shall see. We shall see. And then, you know, the last thing I really wanted to highlight here, I think it's been a recurring theme through all three of us uh, speaking today. Nicole and Eric has kind of mentioned it in their uh, talks. But, you know, demand for food and commodities appears to be a little weak. And that's something the USDA sees. You know, the data we have through November on delivery showed 
6.4% decline year over year. But USDA uh, must have seen something a little bit uh, larger in the December numbers because they now lowered food use deliveries 0.6% versus last year by uh, taking deliveries down 75,000 tons. So that was interesting. We'll uh, you know, wait and see how that data looks, but uh, just coming down that 75,000 tons to me was just kind of a indication of things to come and be interesting to watch. Excellent. Yes. And I think it makes for an interesting colloquium in a couple of weeks too. Definitely that. So we'll all see you, everybody. Uh, most of us will be there anyway. Uh, so you'll see us down there. And anything you else want to say on sugar, Kevin? That's all I got for today. Excellent. Well, we're going to wrap this one up. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Eric. And thank you, Kevin. Don't forget to register for our webinar on February 21st and our spring seminar on April 17th in Oak Brook, Illinois. You can do all that on our website at mckinney-flavel.com. As I always like to say, live with an attitude of gratitude. Enjoy every minute moment with your friends and family. Do something fun this weekend. And gosh, shall we just say it's Friday, everyone? Close enough. <laughs> go <laughs> Niners. Close enough. Super Bowl weekend. Woohoo! All right. Go Niners. Take care, everybody. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favelle.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.